I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Ivor Williams. He's a designer developing new ways of thinking and experiencing death and dying. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. Thank you so much for joining um, us today. I know it's uh, later in London than it is in the United States, so I appreciate you wrapping up your day to talk to us. Hey, you're welcome. It's great to be, to be speaking with you. You know, this whole design thinking movement is happening, and you're a designer. And so I really wanted to know how you became interested in design. To be a designer in general is really about having a way of seeing and, and, and making the world, as it were. Um, so it's a really deep-rooted thing, in, in my opinion, to be a designer. Um, so I, I've always been interested since I was a kid. I mean, and, and that way of seeing the world is slightly unconventional. Um, you know, I remember there's a story that my mom really loves to tell about, you know, how I would do things slightly differently from from other kids. I, she remembers kind of coming into um, like an after-school club, and I was there sitting by myself uh, playing with a you know, solving a puzzle. But instead of, you know, most people go around the edges of a puzzle, like to find the, the, the flat edges and they'll sort of make it up as they kind of make, make the piece. But I was kind of just like dropping random pieces and then sort of like clumping them together and like trying to figure out like, and I, I felt like that was a totally normal way of solving a puzzle, but she's never seen anyone do that before. And I think almost, you know, the designer has a way of seeing the world, which I think can be a bit distinct. Um, and so I kind of found that as soon as I could draw, I would draw things. I would, you know, really kind of use my imagination. And what I found kind of growing older in high school was trying to find this space between technical craft and like carpentry and engineering and this more entirely self-expressive, you know, experience of like fine art or art. And this thing design was kind of in between, you know, and I felt like it was really an interesting space to try and contemplate ideas and try and communicate ideas, which was really kind of a big motivation for me to go to art school. So I kind of, that was my big drive. And then things evolved from there. And I became a professional designer. I've been a designer for about 10 years um, in UK and Europe. And I've done lots of different projects and lots of different roles. So it's, it's kind of, it's a long time coming really. Yeah. So it's been, it's just part of your DNA. It sounds like. Yeah, I think so. Apparently, I get it from my grandfather, who was an engineer. But uh, you know, I, he died just as I was born, so I never got to ask him. Oh, I like to think that he's, you know, he he was a sort of guy that um, you know, in the small town in Germany. I'm, I'm half German. My grandfather illustrated the town map. You know, like that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he like he he drew he painted this whole map, and it was really intricate and really beautiful, and it was like this great kind of combination of both information and art you know oh cool brilliance runs in your family then well i would say brilliance but uh, certainly an interest in it. <laughs> you're supposed to lean into that oh, right. <laughs> what's interesting <laughs> is you know as a designer what's fascinating to me is 
how did you become interested in end of life and connecting the two? There's a couple of things. Contextually, I think personally for me, like, you know, there was a couple of things happening to me. I think uh, where I grew up in Scotland, actually, I, I went to, and the older I get, the more I realize this has an impact. So it's something I've kind of come back to over the last couple of years is that um, the school I went to in Edinburgh uh, in Scotland uh, was formed in like the 1600s. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of got this weird famous fame to it now because people like to think it's the school that inspired J.K. Rowling to to create Harry Potter. It's kind of Hogwarts-ish in its architecture. It's a very old building. But um, what's really great with the school is that they, it was just, it was set up to provide education to fatherless boys in the 1600s and then girls followed after a while, you know, actually in the 1970s. So, you know, I mean, like not that, you know, progressive. But the incredible thing is that this 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 rule still applies in this school in Edinburgh. If you lose your, your dad, um, they'll give you this education for free, which is, you know, expensive or, or you know, high, hard to get. Um, so I grew up with loads of kids who had lost their dads, you know, either before they were born, um, after they were born, like growing up and losing their dad. And, um, and so for me, like, uh, there was always this weird relationship with understanding what it was like to lose someone. Um, you know, there was, there was certain kids, school guys, girls that had this, you know, strange experience in life that kind of set them apart from everyone else. And, um, and then it, when I was you know, about 17, I actually lost my best friend as well. So um, that kind of experience really charged my sort of desire to, I think, eventually co- to combine design and, and, and end of life or death and dying. You know, um, I, as a designer, I was kind of a commercial designer. I was doing loads of different things. I used to be, you know, lots of books. I used to design lots of books and exhibitions and, you know, sort of things that graphic designer was trained as would do um and i kind of discovered there was a, a designer called victor papanek in the 1960s he was a friend and kind of colleague of um buckminster fuller but he in the 1960s kind of saw the way things were going in terms of the environment and you know consumerism and the the role of the designer as, as somewhat negative in you know the advertising world and everything else and he kind of put forward a a program and, a, and an approach to social design, you know, which is really about how can you design and tackle the society's biggest problems. And I and I read him when, when I was in my early twenties, and I was just totally inspired by this thing that design could change the world. You know, that you could you know, design could help tackle some of the biggest questions. And so, with my own experience, it's kind of like, do you think design can like help us die better? You know, is is that something that I think we can do? And the more I thought about it, the more I started to piece bits together and you could see research was happening and, and movement going on. And I guess in back in around 2012, um, I really tried to sort of uh, uh, pin this down into certain amounts of things, which led to what I'm doing right now. Wow, that that's an amazing story of how, how it just evolved um, like it was almost meant to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um, in in a way, uh, trying to be proactive is a good way of dealing with, you know, things that really bother you, you know. Um, and I feel like design can be a positive force, you know, for change. And um, it's, it's you know, and in, in, in especially when we think about design thinking, as it were, like this idea that everyone has the capability to design 
you know, and change the world. You know, it's not a prof- it's not a, a it's not limited to professionals. It can, you know, there's things that need to be kind of uh, started or sort of framed by professionals, as it were. But designing, you know, your own death just to take a sort of an idea is something that we can all do. You know. Absolutely. So, you know, that's that's a new buzzword the last few years, design thinking. Can you help my listeners? What is design thinking? And I know Tim Brown at IDEO, you're, you're, you remind me so much of some of the things that he inspired me to think about death in a different way um, through design. And so what is that design thinking to you? I think it is a bit of a buzzword. And if we just, if we think of it as a sort of all-encompassing a phrase you know it can be thrown around almost to describe how to like it's like almost like a management system or, or you know it can be thrown basically by big companies that want to transform the way they do their business you know that that's broadly how it can often be applied um so if you imagine uh you might be a car manufacturer and you've been doing a certain uh, way of working and it's not very profitable or not very kind of innovative um, and not for you know thinking about what how technology might change things or how, how you know the workforce might change in the next whatever years, you might apply design thinking as a process to um, transform your business. Um, and it, and the thing is that design thinking can really be applied across any industry or or, or workplace or or sort of uh, forum. Um, and so design thinking naturally, you know, when when people in the medical world, the clinical world, or you know. Um, the care world, you know, they, they hear about it, they're like, ah, well, this could work for death and, and dying and, and end of life care. And it's true. Um, so for me personally, design thinking is really about, you know, just seeing how design can help people. You know, it's, I don't really like using the term myself because I think, you know, I, I call myself a designer, you know, I don't call myself anything else. It's, it's really, um, it's too multifaceted. It's too messy as well. I think the work that we do that um, if we try, we try and box it in, it means that people try and basically label it. And I think it can do lots of different things, but there are some processes that design thinking really kind of takes on, which I, which I think are great. So, you know, one big key phrase is human centered design. So that's basically about how we look at people's real needs um, uh, as they actually live their life and try and design for them as opposed to, designing something for cost or for economy or for any sort of other metric, which might, you know, isn't really putting the person at the center of that experience. Um, and so end of life care with design is interesting because when you, we think about improving end of life care, what's really interesting is it requires us to kind of hold two things at once. It requires us to hold almost a system view which is really about like how you connect the various people together, like the various institutions, the various sort of uh, specialisms and, 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 and areas. You know, end-of-life care is a holistic four-dimensional experience. You know, it's psychological, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's clinical, it's all these things. So we have to think about all that complicated network of things. But at the same time, we also have to think about this person going through this very, very personal experience. And so design is really good. I think at being able to sort of balance what is a very complex uh, networked thing, but also being able to kind of harness the human experience and, and, and marry those two things together. So how do you think design can enhance end of life? Because we're new to this space, if you think about what who the specialists are in end of life care, you know, originally um, 
back in the day, hundreds of years ago, it was the priest. You know, the priest was the guy who knew everything about, you know, end of life and, and death. And it always was a guy as well, right? <laughs> um, the, the priests, you know, had all the power. They could see, you know, how things all played out. They'd seen it hundreds of times before. Um, and then from like 19th century up until now, like the doctor was this expert in end of life care. And, um, you know, they had all the medication, they had all the processes, they had all the sort of insight and the, the terms for stuff, you know, putting pe- people in ca- uh, care pathways and, and giving people really kind of complicated prognoses. And what's really interesting in the 21st century, we're seeing this evolution where you know, the individual is in control of the end of life experience, you know, and that's what all this kind of stuff is representing. And design in that way can help support everyone, you know, take control, take the power back and really kind of, uh, uh, you know, have that own, have their own personal experience. So I think design can help remove the stigma about, you know, end of life. I think it can help provide new space for new ideas. I think it can, importantly, Old, very contradictory ideas at the same time. Um, when I work with doctors and clinicians, you know, they they, they find it very hard. You know, they they've been raised and trained to be very logical and very kind of process based. You know, one thing after another, and then you throw a designer in the room who literally can hold two ideas which don't make any sense, but you know, can add, end up in a third idea. It, it's it's a very liberating experience for designers and for everyone else sometimes. Um, but I think uh, it also allows healthcare professionals and people who care for people to see things differently. And it allows them to, you know, gives them permission to challenge things and uh, uh, yeah, really kind of challenge the status quo. I totally agree with that. Because, you know, I'm not a clinician. And I I feel like I'm a, I tend to fall back on like the creative side of you know, how do you design a message or how do you frame it? And I love this whole creative engagement in a world that really has never acknowledged creative people or create looking at something in a creative way. And that's our healthcare system, system especially in the United States. Um, it's, so it's very amazing to me that we finally, I feel, have a seat around the table. Um, and, and are challenging in the the conformity of how it's always been. Mm-hmm. Um, because we get caught up in healthcare like, well, that's how we always done it. And instead of looking outside. Um, so I, I, I really do love your perspective. And, and I'm so happy that individuals like yourself are around the table now and looking at things and challenging the norm. But you've created this business, a studio called Being and Dying. So what what is that doing? You know, why create uh, a studio like Being and Dying? I created uh, Being and Dying um, back in 2013, I guess, after that sort of journey of trying to figure out uh, what, what can design do here. And, I, and I, in many ways, it was like simply drawing a line in the sand and saying, like, like I think design has a role to play here. Um, and it was really an experiment. Um, and I set it up originally in a design research center in Italy. Um, I was brought on by uh, an English guy called Dan Hill, who was the CEO of this uh, research center. And he was interested in, again, like, you know, the role that design can play in the 21st century to tackle really complex issues. Um, and so he invited me to set up the studio. Um, 
as 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 a way of understanding how design can can help you know transform the way we talk about death and deal with death um because i think it can help it you know death is yeah, as you're saying like death is you know under the of the the clinicals for a lot of the time and i think it's we've kind of forgotten that it's a human experience um and that it has for centuries been you know uh, an intimate personal um family familiar family thing and i think um there's there's this great opportunity that i think design has to sort of bring a lot of those things together so uh my mission in that regard was to try and use different uh, specialisms in design so we'd use film to do certain things we do product design to do other things we'd use interaction and experience design like thinking about how digital and digital technologies might support what a better death or a good death might be um it was really a way to try and spread the tentacles of what does it mean to try and make an impact so uh we we kind of it'd be as much about writing and research as it was about making and doing things so Tell me some of the projects that you're working on now. With being and dying, it's really interesting. Uh, I'm doing a lot of writing. Um, we're kind of, I'm, try, I'm trying to find the time to finish lots of research that I've been kind of, kind of fizzing around in my head um, about new ideas about technology to support death, like literally how like how these technologies can can support a better death. Really thinking about how you know um, how. What does it mean to be radical and what does it mean to almost be controversial when we're thinking about death in the 21st century? I think that's the remit I, I see emerging with the studios because I'm really impressed that a lot of the early ideas from 2013 are, are deeply embedded in people's attitudes now, you know, um, between uh, uh, what ideal we're doing with um, uh, BJ Miller like this, you know, that sort of level of integration is like incredible to see and, and the work that um, we've been doing at the Helix in London and uh, is thinking about how design can really make a, a tangible impact. But I'm also interested in like how we can kind of yeah be radical and what does it mean to be radical in this space? I love that word. I absolutely love that word because I want to radically change how people face end of life. And, and sometimes that word radical is not really well accepted in the clinical world. <laughs> you know, they're, mm. they're sort of scratching their head like, um, what does that mean exactly? But it, it really means to me is to really look at something in every different way to, to figure out what is the best way. And get this, what's crazy about death or what is interesting about death is it means something different to every individual. Right. And that's where we, like you said, priests were involved, and now the doctor's involved, and now the government's involved, and now, I mean, it, it just it just is a lot of people involved, and, you know, death seems to be claimed as a medical event. But you pointed out earlier, which is brilliant, um, is that it's not a medical event. It is a human event, a human experience that we're all going to go through, and it's really interesting how we tend to prolong the end um, and and how do we do that looking through a designer's eyes, which I, I, I think is extraordinary. Um, now, you're also a co-founder of the Humane Engineering Designing Digital Product, Products that 
explore the use of technology for health and social good. Can you provide some of the digital projects that you've worked on to enhance health and social good? Yeah, humane engineering was really was a, a project that came out of being and dying. It was like a really nice transition. We basically had a project in the studio a couple of years ago when uh, we were looking at how grief is transformed, you know, in the 21st century. Um, and I was really interested to see there was uh, some great reports about how young people were using Instagram to take selfies at funerals. And um, I was kind of like really excited by this because I was like, wow, this is really interesting that like young people are so used to using their phones for stuff that, you know, these one-time events like a, a funeral, they use their normal behavior in there and, and we find it a bit odd. Um, and I was kind of thinking, you know, the phone is this perfect way for young people to, to support themselves and that it can be done really unhealthily or it can be done really well and basically we we set about and we end up setting up this company humane engineering to kind of think about products that could really help young people or people in general to 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 live healthier better lives and we designed cove which is basically a music maker um and it's designed entirely for self-expression when at times when you find it very hard to literally explain how you feel um and and we really can design it around people experiencing bereavement um, and especially young people experiencing bereavement. Uh, as as someone who went through the same thing when I was seventeen, I always found it so difficult to literally explain the, the, the this conflicted set of emotions I had. And music was a great outlet for me. And uh, my business partner Alex, we kind of combined our, our kind of heads to sort of think about how we could make a tool that young people could use music to express themselves. Um, so. We've been working with the NHS, the, you know, the health service in the UK, to to bring this tool, this this app, this you know, this digital tool to uh, young people in the UK, and it's you know, it's really exciting now. You can basically, we're going through this process of uh, evaluation, so we're getting clinical evaluations done and everything else, and really this idea that there's different types of medicine, you know, and like music is a form of medicine, um, and we really believe that. You can do a lot of good by kind of allowing people to be creative. Um, and that's kind of what we want to try and do with Cove. I love that. That sounds exciting. Um, and I love where you use, you know, music is a way to connect. And it, it's you're, you're driving in your car and you hear music, a song that you've not heard in a decade, and it takes you back to that high school moment of when it all happened the first time you heard the song. I mean, it, it's just, it's just a really cool way to even look how music can help people that are grieving. That's wow. So how do people support you, uh, get in touch with you? You're doing extraordinary things. So how do people find you to learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing? Um, I'm kind of, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of ways really. Uh, I have my own website, ivorwilliams.info is the easiest way to literally contact me. Um, the stuff we're doing Cove, if you look for Cove on the, um, the app store, C-O-V-E. Um, but, um, I'm always, I'm always available online. If you can, you can track me down. I'm not that, there's not that many Ivor Williamses. So, uh, I'm fairly, I'm fairly easy. Thankfully, I think my, my parents kind of predicted Google might turn up and allow things like that to happen. <laughs> Well, I'm so excited about what you're doing and how you're impacting um, how we all 
um, perhaps will face end of life and really thinking outside of the box and 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 looking through the eyes of a designer and an industry that we've everyone's going to experience and that's end of life and so i really do appreciate your time and everything that you're doing to enhance this human experience that we're all going to experience one day thank you kimberly it's been great thanks for joining us today and remember you're the designer